episode 11 of the Self-Care Sunday podcast, a minimalist media project by Kaylee Reed. Every Sunday, only on Sundays, I'll release a new podcast episode exploring topics like mental health, creativity, social media, feminism, and of course, self-care. We're putting women at the center of our media and behind the creation of it. And today's episode features Emma DeMar in an interview discussing her experiences with an eating disorder, what it was like to be on the show Gossip Girl, and how her experiences led her to become a therapist on the Upper East Side. The 27-year-old New Yorker has been dancing since she was three and has a background in acting. If you're a fan of Gossip Girl like me, you've seen her in season one as one of Blair's minions, Elise. In her sophomore year of high school, Emma was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa and spent the next few years working towards recovery through inpatient, outpatient, IOP treatment, and outside therapy. She received her BA in creative writing from Trinity College and started a blog writing about her experiences and knowledge on eating disorders. In May 2017, she graduated from Fordham University with a master's in social work, and now, fully recovered, she works as a therapist on the Upper East Side, currently doing a two-year fellowship at Intrinsic Women, specializing in eating disorders and related mental health disorders like anxiety and OCD. Before we get into the episode today, I want to talk about our podcast partner, aka Decor, art known as Decor. AKA is your one-stop shop for all things decor, design, art, and inspiration. Based in New Brunswick, they support local artists with made-in-Canada designs, but my fave part of the shop is the vintage section where Allie literally curates the cutest furniture and decor pieces that will complete your apartment aesthetic. If you're a store or boutique owner, if you're a store or boutique owner, or just someone who wants something one-of-a-kind, AKA Decor will work with you to customize cushions exclusive to your space with original artwork from their artists. You can shop AKA Decor online at akadecor.com or find them on Instagram at aka underscore decor. Now let's get into the episode. Emma, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. Uh, It's kind of funny how the universe works sometimes. Like the week that I reached out to you on Instagram, I was at home hanging out with my sister and we had started to rewatch Gossip Girl from season one. (laughs) And that same week was Eating Disorder Awareness Week. So on socials, I was like going through the Eating Disorder Awareness Week hashtags and I found your account and I was like, oh my gosh, this girl looks so familiar. (laughs) And then I started to read your blog and I was like, oh my gosh, it's you from the show. So I was so so intrigued by your story and just impressed with your writing and like everything that you're doing now in your work. Um, So I'm really excited to be able to share your journey with our listeners today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on the podcast. I was really excited when you reached out. Let's start at the beginning. Did you grow up in New York? No, so I actually grew up in... um, New Jersey. So I grew up in like the Bergen County area, but it was right over the GW bridge. So it was about 20 minutes outside of the city. So I was always like back and forth into the city growing up. And actually like in terms of the acting component, I was doing a lot of auditions throughout high school and even some in middle school. So I spent a lot of time in the city growing up, but I did live in North Jersey. 
And in your sophomore year of high school, you were diagnosed with anorexia nervosa. Was it something that you had struggled with prior to that? And how did you reach out for help? So it was not something that I previously struggled with. It just kind of manifested um, around my 16th birthday, which was in my sophomore year of high school. I actually kind of reached out myself. I knew something was wrong. I didn't really know what it was because unfortunately in my school, we didn't really have any like education or awareness about eating disorders. So I didn't really know anyone personally that had one. I didn't really know much about them. So I just knew that all of a sudden I was way more concerned than I normally would be with my weight and with what I was eating. And that was really weird for me because I was always like a really small girl and never had previously any issues with eating. So I just knew something was out of the ordinary. And I remember that I used to come home from dance because I would, I danced since I was three years old and I used to come home and like check my weight on the scale, which is something I never did. Um, and then one day I said, you know what, this is really weird and I'm scared and I don't know what's going on. And I went and told my parents that I thought something was wrong. And that was kind of the start of things. And then it was like a few months after that where I was going to have my, um, I guess, annual or I don't know if it was every six months, you know, going to the doctor just for like a normal checkup. And we were going to check then what my weight was and what was going on. And it was then that, you know, the doctor weighed me and said, you know what, this is, this is anorexia and you do need help with this. Wow. I find it so interesting that you felt comfortable enough to reach out to your parents because I know a lot of young women like myself especially when I was struggling with my eating disorder my parents were like the last people that I wanted to talk to about what I was going through because I was so afraid of what they would think and I didn't really know what I thought myself I didn't really know what I was going through so do you have a really good relationship with your family like did you feel very comfortable sharing with them what you were going through I do. I'm I'm very, very close with my family. So it's something where I would feel comfortable talking to them about. I'm, we're very communicative. I mean, ironically with this thing, I mean, yes, I did tell them that something was wrong, but it was more of like, I was kind of scared, but obviously with the eating disorder, you, there's a lot of lies. There's a lot of secrecy that comes with that. So, you know, after that initial kind of like telling on myself, I wasn't that open with them, you know, after that, but I'm very happy that I did say something at that point because if not, then I don't know. I mean, they would have picked up on it because, again, we are very close, but not that soon. I don't think they had any idea at that point. And after you kind of initially got that diagnosis from the doctor, was it a long process or a long journey of receiving treatment and getting better? Yes. I Yeah, it was. Um, so I went to the doctor. I remember it was like in June. So it was towards the end of my sophomore year. And I remember that that summer before junior year, I spent, that was like the summer that I was really in treatment a lot. I started off at outpatient and then um, I ended up going inpatient for about like 12 days and then I did IOP. So I actually didn't have to miss any actual school, which was really good for me because I was all about staying on track and everything. And I actually remember bringing like my AP English books to the hospital Mm -hmm. to make sure I did my summer reading. But it was really the bulk of like that summer was spent in treatment. And then 
doing the IOP when I got back to school, like beginning of junior year. And then after that, I wasn't in treatment except for like my outside therapist. And then I kind of, you know, a lot of the recovery was basically, it kind of carried through high school. And then the summer before college was when I say, when I would say that I recovered a lot. Mm. And I want to switch gears just a little bit. How did you get into acting? So I was always, like, if you ask me when I was younger, I mean, and anyone would say, I was always performing, like, for anyone that would listen, singing, dancing, acting, um, was always into all of that. So I always wanted to be, like, a star. Like, I always wanted to act and be on TV and all of that. And so I was always involved in, like, you know, community theater and, like, acting classes and acting camps, like, sleepaway camps, all of that. And then I think it was, this is actually interesting because my mom just told me this story and I didn't know this, but apparently like the way that I got my agent was that there was like a casting call, you know, like the JCC, like the Jewish Community Center, there was one in my town and um, there was going to be a casting call where actually agents from New York were going to be there and some really big ones at that. And, but that was when I was still struggling. So a lot of, you know, my mom and dad would kind of use my weight and all that is leveraged to do things I wanted to do. So apparently I had to like be a certain weight for my mom to bring me to this casting call. And I guess I did it because she brought me and that's how um, I got my agent. And once I got my agent, then I was going on auditions. So that could be up to like a few times a week during pilot season. And, and then I just this was just a job that I booked. Like, I mean, it was just an audition. I went on for Gossip Girl and I did a callback the next day and I got it. And that's how that all happened. Wow. And were you still struggling with your mental health then while you were doing those auditions and while you're working on Gossip Girl? Yes, I was. Um, I actually remember that the time that I got the call that I got the part on Gossip Girl, I it was right before I was going to be going for my weekly weigh-in at the doctor, and I was just, like, not myself. I was not in the right state of mind, and getting that call was just, like, a dream come true, obviously, and I was just... It was that really, like, sad, like, dichotomy and irony of being, like, a foot into my dreams and also, like, still struggling, and but also just using that as motivation to want to just fully recover because I was getting these opportunities that I had always dreamed about but yeah while I was on the show I was still definitely recovering I was not fully recovered was struggling with eating and all of that and uh so yeah I was not by no means was I recovered by then so I can only imagine how exciting it would have been to have gotten that call but did you have at the time any idea kind of how iconic the show would become no, actually, no. I mean, I knew, I mean, I knew the books. I think I had read like the first one, but I did not know. I mean, I, I had a feeling because I knew that, like I knew of the books and I knew, okay, this sounds like something people would watch, but I definitely did not know what it would end up being at all. <laughs> it's so wild. What was it like working yeah. with like such a well-known cast? Or were they well-known then? I don't even remember. Um... Also, like, I was in the first season. They were, though. I mean, because the thing with Gossip Girl is that we filmed a lot on location. So, well, you know, on the Met steps and outside and a lot of crowds would come to watch. And, you know, definitely the 
well-known ones, like the main characters were very well-known and yeah, people were going crazy for them. So it was really, really cool. It was all surreal and I wish I could like go back and relive it, but it was, it was amazing. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Was there a lot of external or superficial pressures being so young on the show or just being a young actress in general? Um, yes and no. I mean, I think that there's always that pressure when it comes to like being in front of a camera and, you know, looking your best. I mean, obviously I already was struggling. So for me, I kind of was closed off from it. Like, yes, there were pressures, but I was so wrapped up in still trying to recover and battling it out with myself that I don't think I really was aware of those pressures, but they're definitely there. I mean, and I know that on set, I mean, there was actually this time that I remember that, you know, we had like the craft services on set. And so we had like the, the meals. And I remember that no one was really eating a lot of it. Um, but we did, you know, have long set days and it was weird that people weren't, but I got called out from another character on the set. I'm not going to name her, but she kind of said like, Oh, something about me not eating a lot like do we have like an anorexic on our hands and little did she know I actually was struggling with an eating disorder but it was just kind of a term that was like thrown around because in that world I mean it's likely that you could be struggling but I don't think she knew that I was but you know there's always that pressure yeah did you see any reflections of the Gossip Girl world in real life when it comes to like mental health and addictions? Or do you feel any differently about how the show portrayed those things now that it's been like 10 years since the first season aired? <laughs> I mean, yeah, there are definitely parallels in terms of like secrecy. I think that there's still that stigma with mental health and with eating disorders. I know Blair on the show, um, I think had like bulimia and, you know, even that wasn't really, really developed and explored more. And I think nowadays, like there's a lot more conversation and media attention around eating disorders. And I would think that that would probably, probably be fleshed out more if this were portrayed now. Um, and I would have liked to have that fleshed out more because I think that we need to expose, you know, the realities of eating disorders and mental health and anxiety and all of that but in terms of like the secrecy component and people not really you know letting on to exactly what they're dealing with I think that's definitely a parallel in society you know just obviously the nature of like gossip and you know rumors and all of that I think is rampant like in high school and in middle school so I think it's a pretty strong reflection of course it's amped up because it's gossip girl but um, I think that a lot of it does parallel in a way I'm curious if you watched 13 Reasons Why. I did. What did you think of it? So I'm, I'm going to tread lightly here because I know there was a lot of controversy with it. I, I did like it. I thought that in terms of, you know, I always think of it in terms of like the acting standpoint. I thought it was really well done. I thought you know, the acting was great. I think that in terms of them showing, like, the graphic, you know, suicide component, I mean, that's a spoiler alert if people haven't seen it, but I feel like at this point they have. I think it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I think if you didn't show it, people would want them to show it in the realities, and now that they did, people are saying, oh, that's too much and that's triggering. I think you, with anything like that, you have to be in the correct state of mind to watch it. I mean, if you are someone that's struggling with suicidal ideation, you're not going to want to watch it, but... 
I think that in general, I think it's good to put out there. I think that we need that conversation and we need these, um, you know, teens and young adults to really see like this, this is what the impact of your words and actions are and can have an effect on people. So, Mm. yeah, it's been interesting to follow the conversations around the show. I personally chose not to watch it because Mm -hmm. just hearing everything of what happens and how graphic it is, I know that it wouldn't be good for me to watch it. Like, I think it would just put me in like a negative state of mind. Um, But I'm always curious to hear the opinions of people who have seen it and who have also lived mental health experiences and kind of how, how they perceive it. Definitely. And I think that it's smart that if you were on the fence about it, you didn't watch it because, you know, it's not worth putting yourself in that situation if you think you might be triggered. Yeah. So after leaving Gossip Girl, what did life look like for you? So at that point, it was actually like end of my senior year in high school. And like I said, that summer was when I really recovered a lot. I did a lot of soul searching that summer because I was kind of at a fork in the road in a lot of ways. It was like I just did this show and was I going to continue with that acting route? Was I going to go to college? I mean, I had gotten into um, Trinity College, so I was going to go there. And then there was also this like fork in the road with my eating disorder recovery where I could either recover and go down that route or I could stay in my eating disorder and maybe not even get to go to college at that point where everyone else was. So I really had to figure myself out that summer a lot and I spent a lot of time alone and I would take walks and just kind of like be out in nature and just really just try to figure out what it was that I wanted out of my life. And the big thing that stood out is that I didn't want to be left behind and I didn't want to not grow up and I hadn't missed any school. I wasn't off track at that point, and I I wasn't going to let this come between me and my life. So I recovered a lot, well enough to go to school, and I also decided to go to school. I mean, I wasn't still on the show at that point, so it was a good chance for me to get my degree, and my parents are very grounded with that. Um, They thought that the acting kind of pursuit is a little, you know, it's a flaky kind of career. You don't know if you're going to make it or not. I mean, unless you drop everything and go to LA, it's kind of risky. So they always wanted me to get that backup education. And I'm, I'm really glad that I did. And then what prompted you to get your master's in social work? Was there a specific moment or a culmination of things where you thought that that was what you wanted to do? So that was a long road for me to figure that out. Um, Because, like, I went to my undergrad for creative writing, which kind of just picked, honestly, because I loved writing, and I still do, and I knew in my life I was going to use that skill. But after college, I, like, I really call it my deer in headlights phase, where I really did not know what to do because I had all of these different routes I could go. I mean, I'm, I'm very creative, and I had a lot of different skill sets, so I was so scared to make the wrong decision that I kind of tried a bunch of things, and... When those things, like, I realized that I wasn't passionate about, and I I physically, as a person, I can't really do something all out unless I'm passionate, so I knew I needed to figure that out, and one thing that I kind of kept coming back to was that I needed to do something directly impactful. I loved people deep down, like, inherently, I'm the type of person that uh, people come to me for advice. I mean, I am that type of person, and that's what I was trying to figure out is what would not feel like work to me. And then I realized like doing what I love is helping people and 
being an inspiration to others, having my own experiences be helpful to other people. And so I figured that I could use my own, you know, recovery. At that point, I was recovered for from my eating disorder and put it to something of use. So I went to school for that, knowing that I wanted to be a therapist for eating disorders and carry that through the, the program. I mean, I already knew that going in, but now I'm doing the fellowship and I love it. I mean, I'm working with individuals struggling with eating disorders and anxiety and OCD and it's wonderful. I mean, it really feels amazing to be doing this work that's so impactful. That's so amazing. And I think given too that you have the personal experience, it must play such a a role in the work that you do and being able to relate and and really help young women. Mhm. Absolutely. And I think that it definitely is different than, I mean, using your experiences directly, I feel like I really can understand what my patients are going through a lot of the time. I mean, it's different for every single person, but I think that when you have had an eating disorder, I mean, you understand it in a different way. And I think it, it really helps me when I'm doing the work that I do to be able to relate and to empathize and to understand and kind of predict before my clients even predict, like, what might be going on, because mm. I've been there. And you're currently working on the Upper East Side, which I, I find kind of ironic and such Absolutely. an interesting part of your story, just kind of given the context of you being on the show. Um, have you always wanted to work in Manhattan, or did it just kind of play out that way? I think that in my town, kind of growing up right outside of the city, that was kind of just, like, Not really a given. People obviously move and everything, but a lot of people were wanting to work in the city. I mean, my parents both work in the city, and I think it was just kind of something I always thought I would do. Um, Not necessarily the Upper East Side. That kind of did just work out that way um, because I do live up here, and I love the area. And, of course, it's amazing to live and work in the same area and have that easy commute. But, you know, in terms of the irony of the Upper East Side, it did just kind of happen that way, which is really funny but yeah it's great to work in the city I mean the city I I love it there's so many things going on all the time and a lot of opportunities for people that you know want to have a certain career I think there's a stigma surrounding eating disorders and specifically in the media they're portrayed as like a wit the they're portrayed as like a white rich girl problem a lot of times and There's a lot of underlying notion that it's a very superficial disorder and not necessarily a mental one. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, definitely I think that I talk about this a lot, you know, when it comes to my blog and my social medias of the misperceptions about eating disorders. It's something that it does really bother me as someone that obviously has lived with an eating disorder that people think it's just something that is like a glamorous thing and a superficial thing about vanity because it's so far from that. Um, If people knew the realities of what an eating disorder felt like and looked like, they would just not be saying the things that they say. You know, and you hear a lot of, there's always every day you can hear people talking about diet culture and, you know, oh, you're so anorexic and that's anorexic and all of that. And these terms are just thrown around and it's, it's definitely, um, it's frustrating, I guess, is the word for someone that has actually struggled with it. And I think that's just lack of education and lack of knowledge and awareness about about this. And I think the media has to be 
more specific about how they're portraying and more careful about how they're portraying, you know, mental illness in general, not just eating disorders, but all of this, because that provides the language that we use to talk about it, especially when you're like a teenager watching, you know, a show, you're very impressionable at that age. So you're going to pick up on the language and how it's used. And so absolutely, I think the media plays a huge role in how we view all of this and the stigma that surrounds mental health. But the more that it's talked about, I think that the more people will feel comfortable with being honest and trying to get help and knowing that there's no shame in that. Mm-hmm. And I think too, like we're seeing a big shift from people taking like TV media as their only form of content that they're consuming to a lot of social media. Um, and so not Absolutely. only not only looking up to actors and actresses, but also looking up to influencers and kind of real life people on social media, which I'm excited about because I see so many amazing women like yourself who are using social media as a tool to create awareness and to create those conversations. I'm sure you probably get people that reach out on Instagram like me or on social media, you know, sharing their story or asking for advice around mental health, which I also get. Um, I recently had a follower on Instagram reach out and she's in high school and her friend is currently struggling with an eating disorder, but is in denial and doesn't really want to receive help, which I think is common um, for those of us that struggle. Yeah. If you could give advice to her or go back in time to your younger self, what would you say? I mean, there's so much that I would want to tell my younger self. I was so alone during that time. And again, it comes back to like just education schools. And I wish that there was more of that for mental health and eating disorders. And I think, um, I, you know, what I remember wanting at that time was like a big, an older sister figure, like um, someone that would understand what I was going through. I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody. I just, what I would want to tell myself is that I wasn't alone and there were so many people struggling that I didn't even realize. And it wasn't a problem with me. It wasn't, I wasn't weird. I wasn't, you know, something was wrong with me. It was just that I had this illness and um, I wasn't a bad person because of it. And I think that, you know, the more that we change the conversation, people would feel comfortable with reaching out. The more that they see it happen, the more that it's talked about, then it will be less taboo to actually get help and want to get better. You know, it's definitely hard with social media and we see, you know, images every single day that influence how we think about beauty standards and the ideal. And it it is hard to get away from that. But just kind of knowing that beauty does come in all forms and all of the different positive movements on social media, like the body positivity and all of that are really important parts of the conversation. And I like that movement towards, you know, accepting yourself how you are. Is there anybody in your life now or on social media that you follow that really inspires you? Hmm. Really, really, really good question. Um, well, in my life, my personal life, um, my parents, I mean, I know that that's kind of a general answer, but both of my parents, First of all, they were amazing throughout my struggle. And look, they it's so hard to know when you're a parent from, you know, somebody struggling with an eating disorder and what to do. You're scared for their life. Um, so you say the wrong thing sometimes, but they were just, they were always there for me. And I mean, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here. They put me in treatment. I mean, they work so hard. They're both so successful in their own ways. And 
yeah, I'm so grateful for them. On social media, there's definitely accounts that I follow. Um, trying to think of a few. The Skinny Confidential would be one. Dr. Mona Vand, Recovery Chi. Just different accounts that are about recovery or wellness. I find really motivating and people that are using their own experiences and struggles to help educate others. I'm curious, what does self-care mean to you or what has it meant to you throughout your recovery journey? And do you view self-care differently now as you did when you were struggling? Absolutely. I think self-care has become so much more of a part of my life than it ever was before. I don't think I even really knew what it was. You know, growing up, I don't think it was like a term that I had ever heard about. Now it's so important to me. I mean, every day I try to do something, whether it's, you know, taking a bath or face masks or whatever it is, reading a book to, you know, practice self-care. And, you know, I'm also kind of an introvert. So I think that, you know, having that me time is so important to reflect. I've always been someone that recharges with my own thoughts. And it's just so important to nourish yourself that way, but just to show yourself that self-care and love and definitely like going through my struggles. i was not practicing self-care as much. All I was doing was being wrapped up in scrutinizing myself and my body and doing negative actions and thoughts towards myself. But now it's so important for me. And I, I really think self-care is so important for everyone in terms of recovery, but just life and maintenance and growth. Mm-hmm. I think everyone should practice it every day. Yeah, I feel the same. I I mean, it's definitely a buzzword in the mental health community right now, but Absolutely. even like my friends who don't struggle with mental health, I'm like, okay, you can still practice self-care because it's not just about um, combating like when you feel negative, it's also about maintaining that balance in your life regardless. Absolutely. I think that it's for everyone. I mean, every single person can benefit from self-care time. Love it. Okay, so, oh my gosh, we're already basically at the end of the question. I know. <laughs> this, was so, this was so great. Um, at the end of every episode, I like to finish with a quick fire round where you can answer with one word or one sentence, kind of whatever comes to mind first. So here we go. The, okay. the first question I'm actually so curious about because when you're talking earlier about just being young and like always wanting to be a star (laughs) um so what's your zodiac sign i'm an aries Ah. your favorite tv show okay this is embarrassing vanderpump rules i love reality shows (laughs) (laughs) very embarrassing but it's a guilty pleasure i have to admit it i love it what inspires you what inspires me my mom and dad Coffee or tea? Uh, I, I vastly, I go between them, but right now, tea, chai tea latte to be specific. Your favorite place in the world? Santorini, Greece. Ooh, I've never been. That's amazing. And what does your perfect self-care Sunday look like? So definitely a bath, definitely face mask, watching YouTube, love YouTube, perhaps reading a book if I'm reading something interesting. And maybe a nap even. I'm a napper, so (laughs) I can do that. And yeah, that's spending time with family too would be another thing. Do you have any favorite YouTubers that you follow? Oh, yes, I do. Um, One that I will say, because I actually think that she ties very nicely into self-care and all of that, is Kaylin Nicholson. 
Have you heard of her? No. So I th- actually, I think she's from Toronto, I want to say. Could be wrong about that. But she is amazing. And her videos are very aesthetically pleasing. If you like that, she's very positive. She starts every video off with a quote, um, like a motivational quote, and does a lot of videos on self-care and routines and getting yourself on track and mindsets and all of that. So I would absolutely recommend her to anyone listening to this. Okay, I need to go check out her videos after we're done recording this. Definitely. (laughs) Do you have anything else that you want to share before we wrap? No, I mean, I guess just one thing I would say is I think that don't be ashamed if you're going through, you know, whether it's an eating disorder or another mental health struggle. I mean, I know that it's a very isolating type of illness and disease, but you're not alone. So many people are struggling and there's always someone to reach out to for help and just don't be afraid to do that because your life can completely change and it just starts with you. And that's what I would say. Mm, I love that. Uh, Thank you so much. This was so lovely. Of course. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks so much for tuning into today's episode. You can follow Emma at Emma Dale Damar on Instagram, E-M-M-A-D-A-Y-L-E-D-E-M-A-R or find her eating disorder recovery account, Emma Dale on eating disorders. And you can find her website and blog, emmademar.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please, please, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. It would mean so much. We have so many amazing episodes coming up, and I can't wait to share them with you all. You can find the episode show notes at selfcaresunday.co. Happy Self-Care Sunday, everyone.